We're going to be in Jeremiah while folks are still coming in from the choir. Uh, you know, being the life of a prophet was not an easy life. We're going to be in Jeremiah 12. I should tell you, tell you the chapter. It wasn't an easy life. We read these words, we read in our Bible, and, and without really thinking about the difficulty and the challenges of being a servant of God, often when um, their voice was in the minority, especially Jeremiah, because Jeremiah had many other prophets, false prophets, contemporaries of his, for instance, who were telling people, um, you know, that they weren't going to go into bondage in, in Babylon, and if they would, you know, they ought to resist uh, Nebuchadnezzar's advances when Jeremiah had a completely different message. And uh, we're going to be reading in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 1, if you'll look there with me, where the Bible says, Righteous art thou, O Lord. Now, Jeremiah is talking to the Lord. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. He's talking to God. I want to talk to you, Lord, about your judgments. And then he begins to specifically ask some questions. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Jeremiah's talking about these people that were prospering in their uh, wicked ways. Verse 3. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. He's asking God to destroy his critics verse 4 how long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein the wick we're paying a price for their wickedness the beasts are consumed and the birds because they said he shall not see our last end so he's basically giving god um Updating God on the wickedness of the people and how God needs to judge them. Amen. And then God responds in verse 5 to Jeremiah. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace... Jeremiah, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? For even thy brethren and the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee, yea, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And, and Father, we thank you for preserving for us these inspired words. Very important, unique conversations between your servants and yourself. Father, as we read these words, we, we see what Jeremiah, at least a part of what Jeremiah must have been going through in his conversations with you. And then, and then to see in our preserved Bible your response to him. So bless tonight as we study these things together. Open our eyes and our hearts and give us food for our soul and wisdom for our journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you on this Sunday night. And uh, it's an encouragement to assemble together, get into the Word of God together. Uh, this is a very 
very unique conversation for me. Uh, it's not like the only place where we're able to see the conversations between God's servants and himself, but, but the way God responded to me is what we really want to get to in a moment. But just to kind of refresh our memory as we read it, Jeremiah is speaking to the Lord, and he spoke very respectfully in verse 1 when he says, Righteous art thou, O Lord. He begins this conversation by acknowledging God's righteousness. He's respecting God, and he knows that God does things righteously. So he approached God in a proper way. If we're going to go to God, it would be wise for us to go in a proper, respectful way, and that's exactly what Jeremiah did, but he's going to plead with him, and that's the word he uses in verse 1, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. He's going to question God about some things. He's going to reason with God about some things and, and uh, give him his, his viewpoint. Jer- Jeremiah's going to give God his perspective, his j- viewpoint. And, he, and basically it was this, we covered this in a very familiar psalm some weeks ago, but basically he says, why are the wicked prospering? Why are you just standing by watching while the wicked are prospering and they deal treacherously, he says in verse one, wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Now, Jeremiah has been mistreated primarily by his own family. And that's why, that's why we see in verse six, uh, when God says to him, it's your brethren, the house of your fathers that have dwelt treacherously with thee. And so Jeremiah has been experiencing this. In verse 2, excuse me, when Jeremiah said, thou hast planted them, talking about these critics, these people that are dealing treacherously, the wicked ones. He says to God, thou hast planted them. Yea, they have taken root. They grow. Yea, and they bring forth fruit. And he's really talking about the people of Israel, the the Jewish people. Um, Jeremiah was was from a place called Anathoth. It's mentioned in the previous chapter. And uh, he's saying to God, you gave these people their start. You actually gave them their beginning and... uh, And he says, they're very hypocritical. Last part of verse 2, thou art near in their mouth and far from their range. This is a frequent um, um, expression of the hypocrisy of the Jewish people. And Jesus, Jesus quoted, not from Jeremiah, but from Isaiah, when he says of the Pharisees in his day, same thing that's going on in Jeremiah's day, same thing went on in Isaiah's day. You know, with their mouth, they speak for me, but their heart is far from me. They were hypocrites. And Jeremiah's reminding God how hypocritical they are. And then he says in verse 3, but he says, you know me. God, you know me. And you've seen me, verse 3, you've tried my heart toward thee. I mean, he, he takes comfort in the fact that God knows exactly what's in his heart. And I think he's kind of contrasting the sincere worship that Jeremiah knew and the hypocrisy of those who were Jeremiah's enemy. And Jeremiah wanted to see them judged. Matter of fact, look at, just look a few verses prior to this in Jeremiah chapter 11. We're just kind of looking at the introduction of this context. In Jeremiah chapter 11, uh, look in verse 20, where Jeremiah says, But, O Lord of hosts, that judges righteously, see there's that phrase again, that judges righteously, that tries the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For unto thee have I revealed my cause. He's wanting God to judge them. Look in verse 21. Therefore thus saith the Lord of the men of Anathoth, that's where he's from, that seek thy life. They, these people weren't just um, complaining about Jeremiah. They wanted him dead. And well, there's other things about that in the book of Jeremiah. But he says... Thus saith the Lord of the men of Manathoth that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy, this is what they said to him, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord that thou die not by our hand. They threatened him. Don't preach to us in the name of the Lord or it may cost you your life. Verse 22 of chapter 11, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there should be no remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth 
even the year of their visitation. So God is speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is speaking to God and God is hearing Jeremiah say, why don't you just destroy them? And the, the thing now for the rest of our time tonight, <coughs> I want to think about is God's response to Jeremiah. How would you respond? Jeremiah Jeremiah's telling you how bad it is. Jeremiah's telling you um, that his heart's in the right place. He's doing the right thing. He's sur- surrendered to God. He's got a clear conscience, but the people... The people are threatening him. The people are angry. The people are criticizing him. I mean, how would we answer someone with these complaints? I would probably think we might say things like, you know, you've got a right to feel this way. I mean, it's, just, it's not right how they're treating you. It's not just what they're doing. Um, nobody, should do, nobody should have to go through this. Maybe you ought to take a break. Maybe you ought to get away from it for a while. Maybe you ought to pl- find a better place, a different place to go. However we might respond, we have in our Bible God's response. And I want to look at that again in verse 5. This is what God said to Jeremiah. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, talking about where he's from, Anathoth, where his family was, wherein thou trustest, They wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? So this is is, uh, a pretty interesting response God gave him. I can't say this for, for certain, but many believe, concur, that these illustrations that God used were like proverbial statements that would have been common in Jeremiah's day. If you've run with footmen... And they've wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? In other words, if you've been wearied, this is what God said to Jeremiah in his complaint. Jeremiah, if you've been wearied by these foot soldiers, what are you going to do when you have mounted enemies to deal with? If you've been wearied in this land of peace where you live, how are you going to handle it when the Jordan River is overflowing? The word wearied there means to be tired, to be faint. Apparently, I think Jeremiah was wearied. He was weary of the life that he was living. He was weary of this life as a prophet. He was tired. He was tired of standing alone. He was tired of these people threatening his life. It's hard for us to realize what this must have been like to be a man called of God, sent by God. I'm not going to turn to it. I just crossed my mind as I'm speaking to you, though, about the way God called him in the first chapter of Jeremiah and gave him his commission. Anybody that's ever been called of God, you think if God calls you, then God's going to use you. and and make a difference with your life. And yet Jeremiah in his own in his own uh, backyard, we could say, among his own relatives, they're threatening his life. They're threatening to kill him. And he faced more persecution down the road. We'll get to that in a moment. But Jeremiah is wearied by this. He's in the minority in this stand he's taken for the Lord. These personal attacks against him. And he, as I said earlier, he's, he's one of the few trustworthy prophets in his day. These other people were people pleasers. They were saying whatever the people wanted to hear. Now, it's good to look at this text and think about who these two parties are in this conversation. We're not talking about somebody that was kind of a weak, a weak a servant, an, an inconsistent. We're talking about a, not a nominal believer. This is a God called faithful, committed servant of God. And he's weary. In his position. And this reproof that he's getting now, this reproof is not coming from some critical observer, this judgmental person on the outside that's saying, you know, if, if this is wearying you, then what are you going to do when it gets worse? This is coming from a compassionate God. Let's, let's think about these two questions in verse 5 that God asks him. And I just want to 
sort of paraphrase or summarize them. Look at it again. If thou hast run with the footman and they've wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? In other words, he said, Jeremiah, if what you're experiencing is so difficult, then what are you going to do when it really gets bad? Interesting thing for God to say. By the way, it does get bad. It gets much worse. Let's look in further over in Jeremiah. We'll come back to Jeremiah chapter 12. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 20 for a moment. This is what the future held for Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 20, in uh, verse 1, it says, Now Pasher, the son of Emmer, the priest, these are these Jewish people, religious leaders, the son of Emmer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet, smote him and put him in stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. When God says, if you've had a hard time in a land of peace, in the kind of the rural area you come from, Jeremiah, and the criticism has really wearied you, what are you going to do when it gets worse? Well, this is the worst, he's, what he's talking about. Now he's not in Anathoth, he's in Jerusalem. And he's facing these, these harsh critics of his. In Jeremiah chapter 20, you're familiar with these words, but this is kind of sets the stage for some very well-known words of Jeremiah. Look in verse 7, O Lord, he's talking to God. Now think about this. O Lord, thou hast deceived me. And I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil ever since I began to proclaim truth. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Every day I lived with this rejection. Verse 9, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Talking about God. I'm done. I'm done with this. But his word, God's word, was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. That means I could not Stop. Jeremiah had some things in his future that God knew. Jeremiah couldn't have known, but God did. Go to Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38. And verse 6, verse 5. Then Zedekiah, the king, said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords into this pit, into this cistern. They let him down with cords into this pit in this dark dungeon and in the dungeon there was no water but mire muddy mire Jeremiah sunk in the mire what a great place for a prophet to be don't you know that Jeremiah could never have imagined when God called him where he would be on this day let down into a cistern let down into a dungeon where he's sinking in the mire because of what because he's doing what God wants him to do. Now go back to Jeremiah chapter 12. And when Jeremiah is complaining, expressing his uh, displeasure, I should say, I guess maybe, with how he's being treated, God said what appears to be some pretty cold things to him. Jeremiah, if you think this is bad, you hadn't seen nothing yet. If you think what you're going through is something to weary you, 
then you better put on your big boy britches because it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Can you see that in that text? That's exactly what he was saying to him. And God was speaking to Jeremiah. We know that. But I believe God's word here has something to say for us. And I want to just talk about that for the next little while. Because I want to internalize these questions. You know, if what, if what you and I are presently going through is more than we can handle, because some people believe what they're going through is as much as they can handle, then I think God would say to us, what are you going to do if it gets a lot worse? What are you going to do if it really gets bad? I mean, um, I'm not, a, I'm not against social media. I think there's advantages to social media. I see things on, that are helpful to me. I get a lot, most of my information I get uh, from social media about things in the news and various things that are going on in the religious world. I, I get a lot of, from that. But it's very common to see on social media where people, you know, act like life is so terribly difficult. You know what I'm saying? And, and really, when you think about it, we live, for, as Christians, we live in one of the most uh, welcoming cultures in the world. And yet people act like it's just too much for us. I can't handle this anymore. I mean, I, I can't handle, I, they want me to wear a mask. I can't handle this anymore. And I'm not for wearing masks. I seldom wear masks. But I'm just telling you, we act like it's the end of the world. We act like this is more than we can actually handle. And it might be good for us every once in a while to step back and think about the words that God said to Jeremiah, which is, you're running with footmen. You may think it's bad, but what are you going to do when you have to start running with horsemen? You, you live in a land of peace. And by the way, we live in a land of peace. What do you, what, if you can't handle it in this land of peace, what are you going to do when it's no longer a land of peace? And, and I truly believe that... Uh, it would be good for us to think about this. These, I think these two phrases describe two different things, the two questions that God asked Jeremiah. Number one, the first one had to do with strength in the battle. I think it's talking about running with horsemen versus, I mean, it's one thing to fight against men that are on foot. It's another thing to fight against horsemen or chariots. He says, if you can't handle it, if you're, if you're whining about doesn't use the word whine, but that's kind of what I get out of it. If you're whining about running with horsemen or footmen, what are you going to do when you have to face some real severe enemies? The second has to do with peace and safety in times of peril. He says, if in the land of peace, that's where he was with his fathers, his, his brethren. In the, if you're there and they weary thee, what are you going to do in the swelling of Jordan? What are you going to do when it really gets bad you know if we can only be content in times and places of peace then we may be missing out on something something that has to do with our relationship to the Lord something that has to do with getting our grace and our strength from the Lord and if you, if you look into this, if you dig down, and I, I'm, by the way, I have such respect for Jeremiah, don't you? I mean, I have such respect for this man of God, for what he went through. But the implication is, implication means it's not stated, but it's sort of implied. And I'm not just saying this, Jeremiah felt this way, but it's kind of way, the way we feel sometimes is that somehow we should be exempt from serious trials. And you've heard me say this many times, and I, I, and I believe it's true. We're spoiled in this country. I mean, there, there are believers around the world that are meeting in secret places. Their, their life, their family, their fortunes is in peril. They could lose everything. They could lose, be locked up. People are locked up. 
over some of the smallest things. I'm telling you, we're spoiled here in this country. We've been blessed beyond measure. And to think that somehow we, God owes us a life free from serious trials is just not biblical. Jesus said, Jesus told his own followers, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. I mean, Peter says, yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what, that's what Peter said. That's what the Bible says. I'm not, I don't want bad times. I don't want persecution. I don't want difficulties. I sure don't want any trials. But I'm just saying we shouldn't think that we, that we shouldn't deserve any of these things. And so the Bible doesn't teach us that, nor does history teach us that. Bible believers have faced cruel and inhumane persecution, beatings, torture. You all know that. We all know that. Set on fire, nailed to crosses. These are the way God's people have been treated. And we ought to just be thankful that we haven't experienced a lot of those things. And persecution is being experienced by many in places today. I mean, you know, ISIS has kind of been out of the news for a while, but some of us can remember a few years ago when you're seeing these images or reading these stories regularly about Christians being beheaded. Just, to, I mean, I'm telling you, these, these are people, and I don't know how, what Christian means over there, but I'm just telling you, they were, they were being treated horribly for their faith. You know, difficult times, and I believe in its own way, 2020 has been a difficult time. And 2021, we don't know what that holds for us. But difficult times reveal things about us. I'm going to just say about me. When I go through difficult or dark times, it reveals to me things about myself. And one thing it, we can learn in difficult... I'm talking about when you have a real trial, when you go through a dark time. We may learn that we're not as strong spiritually as we really think we are. Your, our faith is not tested when things go our way. Our faith is tested in tough times. You don't learn anything about yourself when you're not going through trials and, and difficulties. And that's one of the things I think that 2020 has shown us. I think in some ways it's revealed that our faith may not be as strong as we thought it was in times of peace and ease. How many people have been defeated this year by fear? I mean just defeated. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't treat... I think this virus is serious. I truly do believe it. I mean, we know people in the hospital right now in serious condition. I'm not saying it's not serious, but when, when, the, when the fake news or the news propagates fear and we as Christians believe it all, I think it's showing us that maybe our faith is not as strong as we thought it was. And you know what? That could be a good thing if it teaches us, hey, we need to trust God. No matter what happens, we need to be trusting God. How many people have found it more convenient to stay at home and watch a live stream sermon than assemble as we're commanded to in God's house? If footmen tire you, how are you going to contend with horses? I mean, what might we do if things really got bad? And I know most of us think, well, it couldn't happen. It could happen. Anything can happen. God knows. In difficult times, we may think to see that we're not as strong spiritual as we thought we were. A second thing that happens sometimes in difficult times is we see that things may not be as bad as we think they are. You know, Jeremiah complained that he had it so bad, but there was going to come a day down the road when he had realized, hey, I had it pretty good back there. Going through difficult times, we might see that things aren't bad as we thought they were. I mean, Jeremiah thought he was being really treated bad before, but God indicated what it wasn't. Jeremiah, it's not really as bad as you think it is. And that's the way it is sometimes in life. I was thinking on the message downstairs a little earlier, and I remember something that happened 
uh, during the volleyball season, um, I was I was sitting down next to the girls' bench and uh, um, just minding my own business. And one of the uh, John Wagner's girls got injured. She hurt her ankle real bad. She had to hobble off the court. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember that. And uh, so I so. Um, Melissa had to put a replacement in for her, and the game goes on. And I'm watching her, and I'm, she's just about one or two seats down from me, and I'm watching her just sit there. And, I, and since nobody else was really dealing with it, I said, well, I'm going to talk to her a little bit. And I asked her, I said, um, how's your leg hurt? It really hurts bad. And I asked her this, I just almost verbatim, I said, uh, let me ask you something. Do you want to go back in the game, or do you want to sit on the bench? And she said, well, I'm going to go back in the game. And I said, well, if you want to go back in the game, the worst thing you can do is just sit there. I said, the best thing you can do is put some weight on it. That's not what you want to do, right? Your ankle hurts. But my philosophy about every injury is if you can play with it, play with it, right? I'm a doctor. Y'all didn't know that. I really am a doctor. And and so I said, just stand up and see, see if you can put some weight on it. And she didn't, you know, I know she was... She didn't know what to do. She hurts, whatever. But the point is, by the, with a few minutes, she's back on the court playing. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, and I think in her mind, she probably thought it was a lot worse than it was. And that's the way it is sometimes. We, we sometimes think things are so terrible when really they're not as terrible as they may seem to be. And that's exactly what God said to Jeremiah. You hadn't seen anything yet. I used to think this way as a younger Christian that, you know, when you're young and you go through trials and you try to deal with those hardships, that they're difficult, but the day will come when you're a seasoned veteran and you've been through skirmishes and, and you know, it's really, you'll, you'll come to the time when these, these trials don't really affect you, but you know, that's not true. As a matter of fact, I think what we see in Jeremiah's life is that sometimes trials have a a tendency to get worse down the road. They get harder. They get more difficult. Because let's keep this factor in mind, and that is that God is providential, and He will only allow us to be in a place that He will give us the grace to go through it. So what do we learn in difficult times? We may find out that we're not as strong spiritually as we thought we were. And by the way, that's not a bad thing if we can really see that. Have you ever found yourself, I've certainly found myself, where I'm worrying or fretting about something, and then all of a sudden it just dawns on you, you're not really trusting God. Have you ever been there? And sometimes we may see that things are really not as bad as we thought they were. You know, it depends on what you compare yourself to. I mean, when I look at hardships in the ministry, I have to admit, if I look at Jeremiah... I've never been put down in a cistern, let down with ropes and left in the mire in the dark place by myself. I'd have really been whining. What about Job? I've never had a trial to compare with Job's. What about the Apostle Paul? Beaten, left for dead, forsaken by his friends. What about Stephen, one of the first deacons killed there for preaching the gospel? You know, to me, this, to Jeremiah, I don't know, what he, I don't know everything Jeremiah thought when he got this message, but I think it would behoove us to think about the possibility that things in life could actually get worse. And prepare for that. You say, what if I prepare for what if I prepare for it to get worse and it never happens? And thank God for it, right? I mean, my mother-in-law's been in heaven for years, and I, I can remember how concerned she was about Y2K. Man, she was stocking up stuff, food under the bed and in the closets. We just quit eating some of that stuff a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't hurt to prepare. If it doesn't happen, then praise God, right? 
One of the lessons I see in this concerning that preparation is that in every phase and event of life, we need to look to God for victory. It's a mistake to think when all this is over, then we'll get serious again about serving God. What foolishness. In every phase of life, when it's going well and when it's difficult, I think it's our responsibility to pray and seek God for His peace and comfort and victory. You know, when you're going, you may, you may be in a trial today or maybe you've been in one recently. It may be the greatest trial you will ever endure. But it may be that the trial that you've been through recently or you're in today is an opportunity not only for you to find grace and strength to see you through this adversity, but it'll strengthen your faith for future testing and trials you go through. I read where one writer said this, God encouraged Jeremiah to regard his present challenge as a preparation for greater challenges to come. None of us know what the future holds. But there is a possibility that those little children in this room, when they get to be my age, if Jesus doesn't come back, they may be living a world so far removed from what we're living in today that it doesn't seem possible. We ought to prepare our lives for whatever the future holds. That's the purpose of, you know, running in sports. That's why at the end of basketball practice, these, these basketball players line up and beg their coach to let them run suicides back and forth up and down the gym until they're about to pass out. They do, right? Jeremiah, please coach, let us do more. You know why the coach does that? To prepare them. So that in the fourth quarter of some game, they don't lose because they're not in good condition. That's kind of the way trials are. They, they prepare us for the next trial and for future things. I was, I was re reminiscing about my high school football days and, and the coaches who were so compassionate and comforting to us. Their favorite phrase was, suck it up. What that means is basically ignore your pain and keep going. <laughs> I can still see in my mind players who came to back to school before school started in the summertime. We would start two-a-day workouts in the summer, early in the morning, in the afternoon, twice a day. And I can still see guys who are running and falling and crawling and, and vomiting and crawling because they're not in any kind of condition. That's what these compassionate coaches would say. Suck it up. In other words, you know, get serious about your life. Get, just ignore what's going on in your life and keep going. You say, well, I don't think that's very biblical. Well, listen to these words that Paul said to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hardness is difficulty, it's trials, it's testing. And he said, he didn't say avoid it, he said endure it. It's not wise to take the position that when things get better or easier, well then we'll be all in. No, it's, there's no promise it's going to get better. So in every phase of life, we need to trust the Lord for victory. And keep this in mind, whatever we're experiencing, it could get worse. I'm not saying it's going to get worse. I heard someone say this just today, that this, is, that this is a once in 100 year virus. In other words, this is only going to happen once every 100 years. And so we get this behind us, we're probably good. And maybe that's true. But if you read the end of the book, you read the end of the Bible, you see that there are going to be worldwide pestilences that are going to wipe out a great part of the entire population. That's what the Bible says. Now that's not science though. That's just what the Bible says. It may be that this will be over and we'll go on to get over it and be ready for something else. But what if this whole thing about 
government discrimination against Christians and churches, what if it intensifies? It could intensify, you know. And, and here's the bottom line. If, you, if we can't be witnesses and we can't serve God in times like this, what makes us think we will be able to do it in less friendly times? And I'm not, I'm not a prophet of doom and I'm not saying things are going to get worse. I'm just saying this is what God was saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you think it's really bad, but I know some things you don't know. And if you can't handle this, you'll never handle what the future holds. Another thing I think that we need to remember, not only the fact that we need to have victory or trust God for his grace in every phase of life and whatever we're experiencing, it could get worse. But thirdly, remember this, whatever God permits in our life, he promises to be, to be with us and to help us. Whatever it is, Romans 8, 28 is still in the Bible. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God, God is with us. God will help us. I was reading today in Philippians. Let's just turn to this quickly as a matter of fact. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes this letter, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes, God, uh, Paul writes this letter from prison. He's in, he's in prison in Rome. He's writing one of his favorite churches, the church at Philippi. And just, a, just a, a, an application of what he said in Philippians chapter 1, he says to this church in verse 12, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me... Now what happened to him? He was arrested. He was incarcerated. He was put in prison. I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. What's happened is God has used my imprisonment to get the gospel out even more. Verse 13, he says, so that my bonds, that's talking about his, him being bound in prison, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, look, just keep this in mind, church, that God is using what we're going through to get the gospel out. And you know what? The same should be true in any generation, in any situation, in any phase of life. That God could still allow things to be in difficult times. That we can trust God, that he's got a purpose for it. And the last, the fourth thing that I think prepares us for the possibility that things could get more difficult is this. The chief purpose in all things is not our comfort, it's God's glory. That's the chief purpose in all things. I mean, what if God could get... Great glory by our faith in tough times. You know, you read about people, even people in our lifetime, like Corey Tinboom, who lived through the Holocaust, or Joni Erickson, who had this diving accident that left her totally paralyzed. You say, those are sad things we go through, and you know, they really are. But we all know this about people like that, is that God got great glory, not out of just the events, but of how they responded to those events. I remember hearing a sermon when we still lived in Texas, uh, that's a number of years ago, from Romans chapter 11, that great verse that says, for of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Everything happens that God could be glorified. And if you have your Bible there in the New Testament now, go to the left a little pa few pages to Romans chapter 5 and we'll end here. The, again, the writer is Paul writing to exhort and encourage believers. And I'll tell you, Paul had such a perspective um, 
about life. Romans chapter 5. First one, I'll just read the five verses. Please look along, follow along as I read them. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now notice this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now that's a place that I'm not always living, glorying in tribulations, rejoicing in the difficult times. We glory in tribulations because we know some things, verse 3, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Tribulation builds endurance in our life. Ease doesn't build endurance. A lack of resistance does not build muscle mass. It's resistance that builds muscles. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God uses tribulations to make us better, to make us more Christ-like, to make us what He wants us to be. So back to the conversation that Jeremiah had with God. Maybe one day you'll have this conversation with God. Maybe you'll say to Him, Lord, I, I know you're just and you're righteous, you do all things well. But I just wish you would wipe out all my enemies. <laughs> because this is really, really getting tough. And God might say to you, if running with footmen weary you, what are you going to do when you start running with horsemen. And if living in a place of great peace wearies you, then what are you going to do in the swelling of Jordan? In other words, God might say, trust me, trust me for where you are and learn to trust me where you are because down the road it's going to get a lot worse. That's possible. You know that's possible, right? Do you think I'm being... I don't, please don't answer this question. <laughs> Do you think I'm being too hard when I say that as believers in America, we're really pretty soft? I don't think I'm being too hard when I say that. I think it's true. If we can't live for God now, if we can't live for God now, if we can't serve God now, if we can't witness to people now, if we can't, if we can't find a way to help people now, what would we ever do if it gets worse? If footmen tire you, what will horses do? If in the land of peace we're wearied, what are we going to do when it really gets difficult? And I don't think this is a, I don't take this as a rebuke from God to us. I just think it, I take it as an encouragement to us that we need to take our spiritual life seriously. And don't assume that God owes us a life free from trouble. But that God has promised us that in every place of life, he will be there for us. And that he even uses trials that we go through to prepare us for trials that we'll go through in the future. That's the goodness of God. That's his grace. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Tonight, would you just, just hone in on this, focus in on this for just a moment? 
If we can't trust God and we can't serve God in the friendly world we live in, what in the world are we going to do if it really gets bad? I don't say that that we should cause us to fear the future. I think it ought to cause us to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up my game. And I'm not going to let fear control me. And I'm going to start serving God right now. Where I am. My place in the world. Our Father, we thank you for the words that we have in Jeremiah chapter 12 that allow us to eavesdrop on a very significant conversation. And Father, I don't know about other people here tonight, but I know there have been times that I've become weary and tired in thinking it was worse than it really is. So Lord, would you help us tonight to learn from Jeremiah's conversation, to learn from your response, to learn from the inspired word of God. Please help us. We know that you're the author of truth we know that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. We know your grace is sufficient. 